Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I'm one half of Wannabe Games, and I make tabletop role-playing games. And I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hi, Craig. Hi, Jess. I'm Craig. I own Nerdburger Games, and I make a whole bunch of games, too. This is our this is our second recording today, Jess. Yes, it is. So we're settled in. Um, for those people who don't know, like how the sausage is made, we yeah we we often record like a couple of episodes at it uh, at a time on a weekend, so that we can both actually have weekends where we don't have to constantly be like, okay, when are we going to fit a recording time in? Right. Um, and since we're not doing like current event stuff or anything, we can. I've I've often considered like, hey Jess, would you want to record like four in a row on one day and just like get the whole month out of the way? I don't know if that's something you want to dedicate just half your day, day to. <laughs> Podcast reporter, I would be losing my focus at the end. Yeah. I'm already antsy by the end of the second one. <laughs> well, the great thing about it, even when we're doing two, uh, the great thing is that we have uh, we always have a guest here with us to help us. Uh, reinvigorate ourselves and today that guest is simon who has been here before hi simon hi craig how's it going good um tell us tell us who you is who you are what you do um i am simon i like foreign languages fire spinning and long walks on the beach um I'm a partner in Flying Nightmare Games. We do Beyonder. Um, we have some supplements. We're currently working on B2.0. Very excited about. Um, I also do a bunch of other games, riddles, puzzles, enigmas, whatever. Um, and uh, I, I know I'm not your first guest today, but I'm honored to be your strongest and most handsome one. So... <laughs> uh- Sorry for stepping away. If you listened to the last episode, you heard me apologize for stepping away at the end of Derek's. I just had to step away and turn on all of my faucets. Uh, <laughs> this is very normal. As one does. As one does. This is the, the, the joys of apartment living. Um, well, thank you, Simon, for joining us. Again, I caught the end of your, of your introduction. Um, and uh, Craig, we are... Uh, talking about a a topic that I I really like actually in uh, I like the word mostly <laughs> I love the word what's our what's our GMing topic for today Oh our GMing topic is uh, it's it's a great word and it is a word that strikes fear into some GM's hearts and it strikes anger and brings furious anger into some fans hearts just fans of anything whether it be role-playing games or movies or tv shows or whatever and that's retconning uh what's retconning jess retconning is when you take something that has happened in canon and you render it no longer canon and what that means is that you made a change that you had a previously established you you changed something that was previously established um for example um changing that oh let me let me use star wars as an example i won't even sure. talk about the new ones mm. the ret the retcon that um luke's father was dead being retcon that ah no he was alive the entire time and it was darth vader does that count as a retcon some might say no that it was planned from the beginning i say bullshit uh, <laughs> <laughs> knowing everything i now know about george lucas 
No. <laughs> um, or many of the other retcons that have taken place within Star Wars itself, such as, um, you know, Yoda. Everything, everything, literally everything. <laughs> Yoda, well, Yoda being uh, Obi Wan's master, and then they invented Qui Gon Jinn. Who's that? Uh, Liam Neeson. Uh, I mean, you know, you never see him and Liam Yoda Mason. in the same place, Zombie. except that one time when you do. Who plays Qui Gon? I completely forget. I said Liam Neeson. I don't think that's right. Yeah. That's not yeah, right. I think it, it is. is. Yeah, it's yeah. Liam Neeson. Yeah. Wow. When Liam, when Liam Neeson played nice people before he played, you know, people with a very particular set of skills, you know, where, where he was like really serious and dour and like, I'm going to come and get you. Like he was like, you know, yeah, that's Liam Neeson. Yeah, See, yeah. No, I don't think Qui-Gon was nice. He just left Anakin's mom <laughs> it, like in slavery. Like, come on now. That's bad. <laughs> well, there's there's a lot of issues. I have a lot of issues with a lot of. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we're not going to get all oh, down that. Sorry, with those perfect movies, Craig. <laughs> right, right. Side. Th- this is a side truck. We're not going to go down because we dealt with side trucks on the last we did. episode. We did. We're talking about retconning. <laughs> Let's retcon all that. I'm going to delete all that when I do yeah. the edits. <laughs> Just never said anything about any of the Star Wars movies. She never disparaged George Lucas once at all, even though we all heard her do it. But there's a good reason for for me saying that because we don't want that specter hanging over us in the in in the podcast and sometimes you as a gm introduce something that's intended to be one way you think this is a great idea at the time it might have been off the cuff it might have been well planned and then through no fault of your own through where the players take the story where the story goes what what sorts of things happen in the story it's a better story if you change that other thing um, and it creates a more emotional moment and more resonance, or it makes makes uh, the villain better if you change the villain to be something that you had not established them as. Like they're suddenly a different, you know, a different different kind of alien, or they suddenly have some powers that you never alluded to before, or, or you know, having previously said they didn't didn't have those special powers or whatever it is. And you know, GMs do it all the time. We've talked a little bit. I think I'm gonna get this one out of the way that uh, we've talked a little bit, Jess, I think you might've been the one who mentioned it, who said that like the players are going to forgive you. <laughs> like they, they just want everything to be fun anyway. Um, they're probably not going to have a big uh, problem with you retconning something. So you can be confident that the change you're making is if it's making the story better, if everybody's going to be accepting of it, especially if you've, again, as we always talk about, talk to the players that, you know, like maybe sometimes this sort of thing will happen. Um, you know, it's not such a big deal, but there, there are good ways and not so great ways to introduce that sort of thing. There's, uh, there's all sorts of like nuance to how to incorporate retconning. So we can talk about that as well. So what are some things that you might want to retcon as a GM? Simon, you have any ideas? I do. Um, Probably the biggest thing that comes up for me, uh, well, two things. One, um, three things amongst the things. (laughs) Retcon, you said three the entire time. I did. I did. Thank you. Can use that excuse the whole podcast. Um, that so, whole ske- that whole sketch, that whole Monty Python sketch, is one big retcon. That's all it's about yes, is retcon. Yeah. But go ahead. Um, <laughs> so one is that the the game I'm currently running involves time travel. So there is oh. just yeah, um, a lot of re- I mean, a lot of it is behind the scenes 
and my players think I've planned it out, which is which is great. Um, but I, you know, I I haven't like ninety percent of the time because players are unpredictable. Um, the more common scenario though is um, one of two: either I just you know screw up, which you know happens. I forget to include something important. Or I do something like, oh, wait, this character, I, I used the powers from this other character and he wasn't supposed to have them. She was and blah, blah, blah. And um, what I try to do there is to find an excuse for it to work. So it's like semi-retcon territory. Um, you know, I should probably preface all of my speaking in in this episode by saying that i enjoy soap operas so like <laughs> i have a, a tolerance level for retconning mm. um but um uh yeah so if if a character has powers that they shouldn't have oh okay well they got their hands on this amulet or whatever um the the key thing there is that you then use that excuse or change to do something like okay if they got this amulet then you know either there's this new amulet in the world that i hadn't thought of or it was stolen from this person and what are the consequences of that um so it's kind of like a um the the oh god i'm blanking on it from improv the the yes rule always say yes, yes and yes and thank you um just with yourself the other time I find retconning important is when I am playing characters who are smarter than I am, which is, you know, kind of a low threshold, but like, especially characters who are really super smart, like genius level or literally inhumanly. Um, and, and what I've done there is I actually have specific special abilities, um, some of which PCs can also get that allow retconning like a certain number of times per scene or per session and of like a certain size. So there is a villain in my game who's, you know, the highest mind score is, this is um, uh, Nemesis, highest mind score is five, its mind score is eight. So like once per session, it can basically have retroactively done pretty much anything. And I use that to compensate for the fact that, you know, it is just a lot smarter than I am and, and could have reasonably foreseen certain circumstances. Yeah, I, I think certainly when there is a disparity between what is happening at the table and what the, like what the characters can do, what the players can reasonably do, there are lots of really acceptable times when you can retcon something like, oh yeah, you totally would have noticed that. Like it's in your background that you're a super, like that you're really good at hunting. You would have noticed those deer tracks. Of course you would have. Um, like there are all sorts of things like that. I think stuff like that typically happens within the session. Would you agree? Like you're retconning something that like happened just a couple minutes ago, right? That's the most common. Um... And again, like I have, I've given players special abilities to do retcon 
things called contingency plan, but but it, it helps because in the session, it creates a clear boundary between the like, oh yeah, you totally would have seen the deer tracks and no, you wouldn't necessarily have brought like a special deer specialized hunting bow. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, some of that stuff is like the player led retcons like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I keep my, you know, I keep my knife on my, my hip all the time versus I brought my special demon killing knife, whatever <laughs> that is. There's a difference there. I feel like for sure. And I think that you as the GM, like when you are allowing like a retcon to happen is to recognize when it would be reasonable. And I think a lot of that is like, it's a judgment call and, you know, sometimes that can be negotiated at the, at the table. I guess it depends on the, the table's level, level of comfort too, with retcons like that. Like, do you have to stay at the beginning before you go what you have on you and what's not there? Would this retcon provide an unfair advantage to somebody, an unfair disadvantage to somebody? Um, I, I think that whenever you get into the, like the subjective territory of being a GM, it's yeah. always like so much harder, like, cause you can't put a solid rule on it. Like you got to judge based on the scenario. Um, mm-hmm. There have been a lot of times where I've had players be like, I brought, I would have brought this mm-hmm. thing with me. I would have brought this. And I think like, well, if you thought it was so important, why has it never come up before? <laughs> but and that, that that's true. And I do that too. And then you have to think to yourself, but there are going to be times when that's going to be my exact excuse is I didn't think of this thing or we glossed through something quickly and I didn't jump on it. And it making the comment about like, you know, short term, like just jumping back in, in during the session to re- retcon thing, it occurs to me that the X card is a retcon. Yes. Um, and, and many of the safety tools that allow you to kind of rewind back up, change something very quickly is changed because of like a player says like, yeah, I'm not comfortable with that being, you know, part of the story. Um, and to extend that, there's the possibility that as an example, um, you might have started the game with um, establishing lines and veils and figuring out how you're going to do safety tools and so forth. And one, one of the things that nobody said anything about was, um, uh, 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 you know, family deaths. And then three months into, the, into the, the campaign, one of your players has their grandparent that they love very much die. Um, and maybe doesn't come up, maybe they don't talk about it too much, but at some point, like you, you might've decided in an earlier story that a character's family member died. And that was an important point to the story or something like that. And then you get to this point in this, in the session now where you want to bring that back and that it needs to be resolved. There's story elements to be dealt with. And maybe the player, like, that's just, we can't go down that road. So you might need to retcon that into something, a completely different background thing that happened to the character that changed them significantly or being a death of like somebody other than let's say a parent or a grandparent that might ring a little too close to home um, for that player now because their life circumstances have changed and they're in a different place emotionally. Um, And if you're giving as the GM, if you're giving the opportunity to players to make those sorts of changes to the story for those types of reasons, or even for like, you know, well, two sessions ago, we kind of glossed through this thing real quick, but my character would have done this. And you're like, yeah, you're a master thief. You absolutely would have done that. You've done it before. You just forgot to say that you did it 
two sessions ago. We'll, we'll retcon that into place. And as the GM, you're giving that to the players. You're letting them have that flexibility to make adjustments that were you know, for forgotten or for story elements that can't be handled the same way. And the, the harsh way of saying it is you're banking it and saying, well, occasionally I'm going to need to do that because, you know, we did it for you. So we're going to do it for me. We're going to all be fair. We're all going to have the opportunity to, to deal with those sorts of things when they come up. Um, but it, you know, that's, that's reasonable. Like it, you may not have to think of it as like, well, I, I did you a favor. Now you must, ha you have to do me a favor, but you know, at the heart of that exchange is we're all trying to have a good story here and we're all you know, potentially making a mistake or needing to change something to make things more comfortable or better or whatever. Um, and having that be apparent and, and discussed amongst the player group makes, you know, you jamming a retcon into place, even if it is a significant thing that took place, you know, many, many, many sessions ago, um, a lot more palatable. I think that that's why, it's, that's why it's so important to have a robust session zero, because you can talk about like with the X card, like, what do you do? when your other safety tools fail and then you have this X card pulled, you had to be saying like, well, obviously if something comes up, we're going to retcon it and take it out of the game and it does not exist in the game anymore. Like that is like the, the family member dying, like that doesn't happen. And we have to be cool with that because that is part of our safety tool. But for something like, uh, yeah, you're, you're a master thief. Of course you were crawling along the floor inch by inch searching for traps. <laughs> uh, like, you maybe maybe that's cool with your table um or or maybe not but that's something that you should definitely discuss with your players like are you comfortable like when when is it okay to retcon and how do we handle that did we just like rewind a little bit uh that's another safety tool too like the pause rewind fast forward um safety tool and like like are we are we cool with that for non-safety related issues? Um, and also, you know, like you do, you do want it for yourself too as a GM, because not only are there times when you might have to pull the X card as a GM, but there are times where you forgot that your super awesome nemesis that you created. Oh, oh no, I, I totally forgot that they are immune to this sort of magic. And I've been letting you blast them with a fireball this entire time. What are you going to do about that situation? Um, and setting up, setting up a gameplay, like an area of play where everyone is being respected and like everything can't be fair, like 100% fair at the table, 100% of the time, but you never want to put yourself into a situation where like, oh, rules for me, but not for thee in terms of the retconning. I'm allowed to do whatever I want. It's my world because you're actually, you're sharing this world with everybody else. I made a reference to the gamers. That's why Simon laughed so hard. Yes. <laughs> um, you made the That's... comment about the rewind. Um, and I know I, I don't have an example off the top of my head. Maybe one of you can do it. I know I've seen it in movie series or in TV series where something happens in an earlier episode and then in a later episode they reestablish it as having happened differently by literally showing you a flashback of that same scene playing out differently like they they overwrite the old scene so i mean that can be a satisfying way to give players the opportunity to adjust to something that you're retconning where you can be like 
okay, I'm going to make this change and we're going to do like a flashback and we're all going to jump back in time to that moment. You're going to get to play your characters for a minute in that moment. And you're going to get to react to doing this stuff and it will create a new history that you can use as we move forward with this changed information. Right. You can, you can use the reliable, unreliable narrator trope within your game too. Like, yeah, that's how you guys remember it. Are you sure it wasn't like the weird smoke from the forest? Are you sure it wasn't a trick? Or maybe even there has been some sort of time weirdness happening and you can incorporate that into your plot. If it's like, I feel like that's something you can pull if, if it's like really egregious and like you need to make a big change, but it would really lean into it. it. Yeah. I mean, hang a lampshade on it. Yeah. Hang a lampshade on it. Whatever you want to do to make it work just so you can keep moving forward with the game. Um, I think like for me, a lot of times that I need to retcon things is because I said something in the moment. I was just like vamping. I was just like saying something. And afterwards I'm like, "Ah, that's stupid. Why did I say that? Like, I don't (laughs) want that to be the thing. Like, yeah, I don't want the king to be named king peabody like that's silly (laughs) or like i said that this was your secret sister i don't like that plot point i was just saying it mostly as a joke and then you took it seriously yeah and then heaven forbid the players latched onto it as they often do they latch onto (laughs) the they they fall in love with king peabody (laughs) (laughs) and now you have to like say king peabody the entire dang session like like those are some silly examples but there have been times where i've said a detail that I don't actually want to use. I think it makes a worse story. Um, one one great trick is that you have a lot of downtime in between your game sessions and they'll forget and you don't have to retcon anything. <laughs> they forgot mm-hmm. about it. Um, and if they ever bring it up, they're like, oh, yeah, oh, that did it was happen. This way. <laughs> um, no, but I don't like it that way, though. Is that okay if we change it? One of the, one of the times when it's great to not have a note taker in the player group mm, yes <laughs> they don't have any record of like oh you just, wait a minute i remember it this being the it being this other way and they all they all agree and you say no that's yeah. a mandela effect you all remember things incorrectly <laughs> what actually happened was yeah. this and if you don't know what the mandela effect is look it up it's a lot of fun yeah i i think like we really want our games to be like reality and reality you can't rewind if something happens it happens time is not a flat circle at least in our perception who knows about other people's perceptions maybe you're secretly like a master of the universe and i don't know but uh that's not what a game is though a game isn't reality and there are going to be different times when our reality in the game works differently and that's okay because the whole point is to have a good time for everybody if you, you know, assume that you are all on the same side, um, then yeah, you know, anything can be resolved if you just talk about it, find what makes everyone happy. Um, um, I will say this though, real, real quick note is if your retcon is going to significantly change a character's background and you know that the player is really in love or really uh, invested in that particular background thing. Um, still okay to potentially retcon that, but maybe talk to the player first and say, Hey, I did this dumb thing where I said this, this, and this, and it ties into your backstory. Do you mind if we tweak this thing about your character backstory? Um, 
And oftentimes the player will be like, that's going to make a great story. And, or they'll get inspired by the thing you said and be like, oh, and now we could do this and I could go with it this way. And like, you never know though. Players are uh, much more forgiving um, than I think a lot of GMs, like the worst fears always crop up with yeah. this sort of thing. Like your, your yeah. fear is always going to be like, the players are going to be like, well, this sucks. And they flip the table and they march out. They never want to play again. You're the worst GM. <laughs> like we don't, we like GMs are people pleasers, right? You want to be like, you want to be the best at what you're doing you want everyone to enjoy themselves but i do know that people are they're much more open and acceptable and have better feelings when you are transparent about your thoughts and feelings on something uh this happens a lot in education like if i give a test and like i see my, my students are struggling with it or like like and they do really poorly on it i grade it even though I said in a moment, like, no, this is the test and it's going to go in your, it's going to go in the grade book. There have been times I've had to like, then come back the next day after thinking about it for a while. Like, yeah, I'm not going to put that in the grade book the same way. We're going to do something else. And here's why, here's why I think so. Um, and even if you scored hundred percent, I'm sorry, maybe we can work something out where, where, I'll take the highest of the two tests. As long as you're explaining the reasoning behind something, people are more like being a little bit more transparent as a GM, putting down the GM screen a little bit and opening yourself up to um, like opening your decision-making up. Even if you're not getting necessarily the player input of doing it, like saying why you're doing it can, can incorporate a lot of goodwill. That happens. Um, I've had it happen to me as a player where um, a GM killed like two of our characters in a fight and we ended the session thinking like oh well that's that for those characters and he came back and like yeah that fight was maybe too hard uh let's say that they just got knocked out they're really hurt and we're gonna start over well we're gonna start from this scene now um and we were cool with that even though it's fudging the rules we were fine because we heard his thoughts and reasonings plus the characters got to not die there's <laughs> <laughs> a park I actually once had in my game uh, a reverse retcon, I guess you would call it, <laughs> oh, where boy. there was like a, a kind of side quest sort of thing they were in the middle of, and it was very like social politics, that sort of thing. And then the person whose character's skill set was social and politics, like their thesis came up and they had to go and just like focus on that for a couple months and so their character wasn't in the game and no one else had the skill set. So we were like, okay, let's just like say that happened and we're going to continue and we'll go back to it when she comes back. And people started to make references to things that had happened um, during this time um, that had not yet uh, been, been played through. So when we got back to it, I had to be like, okay, so how do I work in like a wedding that somehow involves like an obscenely large amount of waffles. Like, I'm not sure. <laughs> That's like the Seinfeld episode that is backwards. Like where where the this this first scene is the last scene yeah. technically of the story. Like, you know, you gotta figure out, okay, why why does Elaine have a black eye or George have a black eye? I don't remember who had a black eye. Someone had a black eye in that one. And then you gotta figure it out from back there. That could be a fun challenge as a GM. That sounds fun. 
Oh, I, I've I've often wanted to do the game session where everything happens backwards, but oh boy, you'd have to have a player group that's really on 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 top of it. And oh, yeah. mm. the best the best versions of that story is like you know, it's as an example, the Seinfeld episode is like you're introduced to a, a fact and you don't know why it is. So you, as you move backwards, you find out why. Elaine is acting the way she is is because she got super drunk at the when at the wedding, you know, and it just so now we like we we saw that Elaine made poor choices, so the player who's portraying Elaine has to make poor choices that would get you to that point of like in you know like, yeah yeah oh boy now I really want to I've yeah. often wanted to do it and I've never managed to to take the to take a swing at it. I try well I I haven't even tried. I've like ah, but I really want to try. <laughs> These to be players who are totally on board and maybe you watch like that episode or you watch memento before you play so that you see how things work backwards it's like we establish this and we have to the next scene that we do is going to be in the past from that so we have to make sure we get to that point well like why is leonard running well we don't find out why leonard is running until the next scene when we find out why leonard started running (laughs) (laughs) but we've already seen leonard running that's Memento. Watch that movie as well. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've seen that. Not a Chris Nolan fan. I that's a side change, and I'm not going to get into it right now that I've gotten into. I almost did it, but let's okay. let's um let's talk about our our game design topic. Are we ready for that? Sure. Uh, our game design topic is like retconning, but with rules. Um, sometimes when you're designing a game you come up with a different rule to do the same thing in several iterations. How do you know which version of the rule that you should keep when you've designed it, especially if both of them work? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This is a, this is a tough one. Uh, Craig, uh, Craig and Simon, do you want to explain what your thoughts are on this topic a little bit more? If I missed anything. I mean, for for me, it's uh, well. First, and and I come back. And this this will sound very familiar to you guys, um, but for me, like the the first thing I need to do is be like, okay, like what is the core of this game? What experience do I want people to have? What is it like? What is what does it want to be? Like, what is it? Who is it? Um, and and go from there. And that can often cut out a number of different rules when you see how each of them forwards that um, specific experience. But um, there's also just the rule of like, you know, keep whichever simplest, which is pretty nice, pretty handy as a as a backup rule of thumb, I think. Yeah, I was that that was one of the things I wrote down in my notes was Simon's comment about. Um, you know, looking to what the game, what, what the game is about, what you want the player experience, what the character, you know, like how you expect the mechanics, the mechanics to play, you know, so if you design a rule, like you have two versions of a rule and one's very simple and one's very complex, like the simplest might be the better one, but let's say for the purposes of the game, this game is intended to be really granular, really crunchy, like extended scenes of lots of roles and 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 actions and things are going to take a long time that's one of the that's a feature of the game not a bug then maybe you know like the 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 
more robust, crunchier, more complicated rule is the one that's going to give the players the experience of having this system that they really immerse themselves in the mechanics. And that's because the game, because the game embraces that. But then, you know, flip side is if the game is intended to be like, well, we want this, we want to be able to get to the role play quick and we want to just get the dice rolls out of the way. Well, then having like a complex um, pain in the ass <laughs> sub rule, subset of rules for this thing is, is maybe not fitting. Um, so that's definitely like, th- those are things that you can look at. I think one of the things, uh, and I've run into this a few different times. I have examples of it, of other games. I've, I've used the capers covert chase rules. Um, I've talked about those before is like, if, if you've got a rule, you got iterations of the rule. And one of the iterations is like breaks the rule, breaks the core rule. Like it, it does something very different. It's very, it's, you know, it's going to be one of those things that people are going to have to like, it's kind of like learning a whole new system or it's like learning a whole new subset. That's very different from all the core stuff um, or all the other subsets of rules um, that it becomes a pain in the ass. (laughs) And, And even if it's, a pain in the ass that does the job well and you think kind of provides the experience you want it's maybe not going to be good for the players to have to like relearn how um uh grappling works in third edition dd every time somebody wants to grapple because everybody forgot because the system was too convoluted and just didn't flow well um you can like you know take it back to a simple you know use the simpler system the symptom the, the system the, the subsystem or the rule that seems to jive better with what your core rule is without getting too varied. If that's, you know, like if you're trying to make sure your game system is all tight to that, like as, as an example, you see, um, uh, like there have been iterations of psionics in D and D where the psionics people will refer to the rules as it's just reskinning spells. It's just taking the magic system and reskinning it as psionics, calling it psionics instead, instead giving it a few different words. Maybe there's like a slight variation of how it functions relative to how magic functions in the spells function in D and D. And so there are people that dislike that because they would love to see like a new psionics that kind of, Oh, it's its own thing and it's very unique and it has its own flavor, but then it's also, it becomes a barrier for players who like, I want to learn to, to have a psionic character, but I know the magic stuff. So I'll just play magic. I'll just play a spellcaster because psionics is like learning a whole new subset of rules. And I don't want to do that. Um, so yeah, like keeping, you know, keeping the player experience in mind, not, not from just like, do you want them to feel heroic or to feel conniving or whatever when they're playing the game, but also just the experience of using the game, using the rules, making the roles. Um, you know, give some thought to that, like little variations. I think they, I think D and D did a fairly good job with, um, they finally learned it with the warlock, the warlock spellcasting works enough like wizard and sorcerer spellcasting, but then has a few little things that make it different that it doesn't feel, it feels different. It feels like warlock does these cool other things, but it's still mostly spellcasting the way the other spellcasters work. And it's, it's interesting. I, I was actually going to bring up something very similar um, that breaking the central rule can be a positive if it's bundled the right way. Um, you know, if it's like a, hey, I bought this trait, this feat, and it lets me do this thing. And like what you were saying about people who wanted the psionics to be 
more unique, right? So like it forces them to learn a new thing and that's exactly what they wanted. Um, as you say, it's it's the experience of using the game, not just not just um, like the mechanics of the rule. It all all comes back to that. And there's there's no great answer for all of this. So what it comes down to, I think, is as the designer, you're there's going to be an audience for a system where everything kind of functions very similarly, and there's going to be an audience for here's a core rule set, and then there's these subsets that are kind of different. And there are going to be people, there are going to be players that enjoy that. There are going to be players that want it all the same way. And just as the designer thinking, okay, I know that this, this game is going to, this, these two different versions of the game and how I'm using the rules are going to attract different types of players. Which group of players do I want to attract for this game? Um, because there will be people who will, you know, who just won't be into the um, samey samey game where everything kind of functions the same or there there will be people who who don't want the you know game where it's everything's got its own subset or subsystem streamlining yeah. for sure you you got to yeah and there's you can't make that you can't make that decision you can't assume this is a basic precept for me with game design i learned it took a designing a few games before i realized that you can't predict anything that the players are going to like and how they're going to read it how they're going to interpret it and how they're going to play it so you just make it the best you can and let them house rule it if they really want to or accept the fact that well they're not going to like that rule or maybe this the way you set up the game to have these other rules they're maybe not going to like the game that's okay just be okay with that stay true to yourself i think if you start just like when you're gming if you start your design, like, like, uh, like you said, with the player's experience at the center and you go from there, you're a lot less likely to make, um, not necessarily a mistake, uh, but you're less likely to do something that's going to create a worse player experience because you're trying to keep them in mind at the entire time. Um, of, of course, if you if you can, if it's if it's the kind of game that you're playtesting, getting that experience and actually getting a survey of opinions on a rule, even trying out this the two different rules that you're thinking of, um, that's a great way to to really focus on that player experience. I always think when I design games, though, I think of the experience from the GM's point of view because I'm usually a GM. I think, ah, what would be easier for the GM of this game to do? Um, cause the GM often kind of like, oh, let's make this easier. Let's make this rule easier. And by making the rule easier, you actually make it more difficult on the GM. <laughs> um, I yeah. hate that. I, I don't like that. Like why, why am I the one who has to figure out the damage that like, why, why is it me as the GM? Why can't the players do this? Why is it so hard for me? And all they have to do is roll one die and add a number. Like. What can you do to make the experience good for everybody playing? That's an excellent that an point. Excellent point. Uh, jinx. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's overlooked, I think, um, because that's one of the things that I remember when I was running D and D was I was like, okay, so each of you goes, and then I take a turn for each of these twenty things, yes. and I have to keep track of and. Recently, uh, I mentioned we were working on uh, Beyonder 2.0 at Flying Nightbear, and that's one of the things we're trying to do is 
um, figure out some ways to to make things easier and reduce the GM's load because, as you said, it's you know it's crucial, and we're you know figuring that out a little later than than you did, I think. But you know, yeah, wisdom. Yeah, that's. Uh, I find myself thinking about like you know if I'm GMing um, a game where like there's all these specializations for character types that are all subsets of subsystems of rules that are very different um like that just that's just encouragement to not use that and not use that and not use that because i just don't have the time and the wherewithal um and the the, the spoons to like make sure i know how every single one of those subsystems rule works um so you know, yeah, we're just we're just gonna have we're just gonna have spellcasters, no psionics, because I don't want to take the as the GM, I don't want to take the time to learn all this other stuff. Like my 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 friend Bill decided to build a grapple monkey character in uh third edition D D, and I just about slapped him sideways um because now I had to learn the grapple rules and nobody ever used them. So anyway, um <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bill I feel like no one's <laughs> ever done grappling well in a TTRPG. Like every, every time I'm like someone's house ruling something, it's like, it's a grapple rule. Like let's, let's, let's tone it down a bit, guys. Let's tone it down a bit. Why are we grabbing everything? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just kill it. Stop grabbing. You don't need to. Just stab it. Um <laughs> I mean, there are times when you got to grab something, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I think, like I said, too, the streamlining, if if you are finding finding that this really cool rule is very different from the rest of your mechanics, it's using a different die um, or, or God help you, it's using cards and the rest of your system is using dice. Maybe, maybe that's part of a different game. You don't have yeah. to erase it and delete it forever. But maybe you take your Google Doc and you copy the rule and you paste it somewhere else. Um, and then you can decide to maybe even make a whole game around that one thing that you thought was really cool. Because I, I do think that your opinion as the designer matters. I, I think 100% it does. And sometimes we make decisions as, as artists and writers and game designers that are illogical, um, except when you think about the logic of, I just thought it was neat. Um, but <laughs> what mm. you do that and it doesn't work for the players. You have to kind of understand that. Um, and, and ideally no one is house ruling your, your 60 page game. Right now, if you're here's, here's an interesting, we've gotten into like broader sets of rules and so forth, but let's say you have, um, the rule for first aid. And you design three different versions of it and you play test three different versions of it. Um, and you're not sure which version of uh, first aid is the right rule. And they're only minor differences, but they're important differences. Like they're, they're differences that will change how players approach, whether first aid is viable, how easy it is to do, whether you have resources to, to do it, that sort of thing. If you have play testers um, and you're really stuck, you can have them vote. Just and 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 ask you just ask them which version of the rules and give them the rules the versions again. Here's the three versions of of first aid rules, and which one's the best one and why? Why do you think it's the best one? And you will probably find at least the 
you know, if you've got enough play, if, if it's more than just a few playtesters, if you've got enough, or, and it doesn't even have to be playtesters, it can just be other people that you know in the game design industry say, hey, I've got these rules, which which one seems better, which one seems right. Um, it's not so much the how many people vote yes for this one, that this one's the best, it's the why that'll probably tell you. Like if if a bunch of people give you say that this one's the best one and they all have the exact same reason why. And then you think about like, okay, well, why, why does that make it best? How does it fit into the system the best? How does it fulfill the, the, the expectation of what the player's experience is going to be like the best and be like, oh, okay. So the players are seeing the game this way. And this is the rule that supports that the best without being, um, you know, nigh unusable because sometimes they'll point out like well it's not this one because this one requires that you spend this resource that is better allotted somewhere else in the game system as you've designed it um but uh yeah the why will probably tell you a lot sometimes it's just vibes and sometimes you don't know mm-hmm. what the vibes are because you're too wrapped up in it um mm-hmm. like so even if they are pretty similar you you get a lot of players who say i don't know why i just like it Mm-hmm. that's still I mean that's still a good point of data and you know if if they really are maybe not something for like a first aid rule like that but there are games that we all know and love that include different rules to do the same thing we have for example roll 3d6 or standard array those both exist within the text of the D&D player's handbook for creating your, um, what do they call them, D&D attributes, whatever it is. Ability scores. Ability scores, thank you. Like those both exist simultaneously. You are not made to pick, you know, like in the book, you are allowed to pick what, what kind of format you want. And of course, there are a lot of house rules around that too, but <laughs> the, the text in there has essentially what is two rules and there's nothing saying that you you can't do that i wouldn't pick it again i wouldn't pick it for something that's like a like a granular mechanic like yeah for first aid you can either do this or you can do this um but for something like a rule and a character creation something that's going to come up once before you start playing the game i think that that's like totally legit and there's no reason not to. It's just another way to give more player agency in some ways or GM agency in other ways. And I think it's easy for us as designers to get into the habit of thinking like this system has to be like, like a functional, almost automaton-like um, entity that can stand on its own and have structure. And that's important, but ultimately you're creating just, you know, scaffolding for people to invent a world and explore it and walk around in it. And, you know, if the, I mean, that's as, as game designers, that's a cool advantage we have over like other types of art is like, it's easier for people to get engaged because they're generating it, but it's also that challenge we have because we don't get to generate it. So, you know, Bearing in mind, uh, I feel like this sentence had a purpose and an endpoint <laughs> no, when I, I started. No, no, I totally get it. And yeah, it doesn't have to be. There might not be one right answer, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It, there's not going to be a perfect solution for your game mechanics. And even if you do find something that's pretty good, it, it's not that you've failed to create something good because a player, like a group of players, decided to change it. Uh, there's a reason that fan fiction exists for even the best 
works of art out there it's because people like to like as as a player as someone who's consuming media as someone who's consuming a game we're going to change things that work for us personally and you cannot you cannot do something that's going to be good for everybody it's not going to happen yep and Speaking from my own experience, it's not something I would have done with the first couple of games that I designed because I hadn't come to the grips with that idea yet. Um, but I have now. And like right now, Code Warriors just finished up. There's a rule and uh, there's there's actually probably a few, but there's one in particular that I'm thinking of right this moment that I thought I could do it this way or that way. And I made it this way. And I said, I don't know if that's the right. I literally thought to myself, I don't know if that's the right choice, but that's the one I'm going with. And if players don't like it, they can change it. And I trust them to change it to make it what will work for them. And, you know, if you can kind of just get on board with that, <laughs> that saves you a lot of headaches. Because the truth of the matter is, even if you don't think that about your rules, they are going to change it. <laughs> you know a, what? a great many of them are. If you do end up deciding to change it, you can just kickstart your product again because now it's a different product. <laughs> it's a second edition. <laughs> second second edition. edition. Now with all new first aid rules. <laughs> <laughs> Secretly all along, I created two systems for this game so I could make twice the money. <laughs> the evil GM plot. The long con, really. The, the, first, the first game I ever designed had a really... I mean, for, for a first game, a very compelling setting and story and a very system that people really liked and got into, and they did not match at all. Like, they just did not go together. And the result was a kind of horrible mess, and I had to separate them and, and turn them into two different things. Hey, I, it's like osm uh, not osmosis, mitosis, mitosis. You just, your little thing is separating into two little pieces and now it's two different fully living beings. Yeah. Yeah. And like Capers has multiple sidebars in it with optional rules um, because I wasn't sure of the right way to do it. <laughs> I decided this is the one I'm going to present as like the rules. And then here's an optional rule that allows like characters track uh, Moxie. It's a resource you spend on your for your character um, and the GM has to track Moxie for the NPCs. But if you've got a lot of NPCs, that's a lot of Moxie to track. It's a lot of bookkeeping. Um, and so the standard rule is you keep track of all that stuff. And then the alternate rule is you can create a Moxie pool that you can use for any of your NPCs. It will have less Moxie in it, but it will be usable for any NPC. Um, and so it's just one resource to keep track of, but you have less to work with because you're, you're, Otherwise, you've got like a moxie pool of 20 points that you can spend all on your one bad guy, one big bad villain, and you, they'll be impossible to kill because you can constantly be like reducing wounds um, because that's one of the things you can spend moxie on. So I made it like, you know, they the, the GM has to make the choice of like, do I want to have maximum flexibility with a little less of the resource or do I want to be able to like have all the NPCs be able to spend some points? Um, but once they're out, they're out. And I got to track it all. Man, rules. It's like it's the hardest part of making a game or something. <laughs> Any final thoughts? Oh, boy. This whole time we were talking, I was worried that suddenly all of the water in my apartment was going to start gushing out. <laughs> on the There's still time. <laughs> do, you, do you want to hear? Do you want to hear? Um, I can expand 
I can tie together a whole bunch of the stuff that I've been talking about here with the actual example of the rule in Code Warriors. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, Please. the yeah. rule is in fact the first aid rules. Um, where in the game you can render first aid to yourself or to someone else by spending skill. Skill is a resource that you build up by failing. Um, because normally you when you fill up your skill track, you spend that to advance your character. And I was like, that's one of the few that's like it's an alternate thing that you spend skill on, which means if you if you have a very deadly game and you're spending skill to first aid, your character isn't advancing as quickly, which can be a downside. But I'm not making you do it because there are other ways to get healing. And one of the ways to get healing is to let your skill fill up all the way so that you can advance your character and you can take an upgrade that allows you to heal more easily. So you have the balance of, do I spend the skill now because I need to, anybody can spend the skill to first aid, or do I deal with a couple of characters walking around wounded, maybe suffering some penalties for a while so that we can all advance and, and get out of this hairy situation we're in and eventually be okay. And we don't lose any skill and I can fill up my skill track faster and everybody can advance and somebody can take that ability. So like, that's one of the things that with, with a point by system, uh, like a character point system for advancement, I I fall back on that a lot. Like you know, if I'm if I'm doing anything that affects how you advance your character and how how fast you can advance this thing versus that thing versus this other thing, how do those all balance out with each other? And sometimes rule rule decisions, you know, between slight differences in rules, get those rule decisions get made on like how will it affect these other things. That is not, not is just really, how it works in and of itself, and, and that's really good for I, I've play tested Code Warriors, and I that's that's really good for Code Warriors too, in particular. Getting back to the like, what what's the experience? What is the core game? And because it's you know post apocalyptic, and this is like a allocation of scarce resources, like that's a decision players now need to make. So, very good example. So yeah. Focus on the theme of the game. Focus on the players. I don't think you'll do any wrong, or you ruin someone's life completely because you and, you chose and to, the wrong first aid rules. And to and to Jess's comment, and to Jess's comment as well. Do all of that stuff that Jess said, but also don't screw over the GM. Yes. Yes. <laughs> don't don't make sure you're make sure you're not making GMing really difficult. Exactly. Otherwise, I'll be sad when I try to run the game because I will inevitably have to be the one to run the game. <laughs> Uh, Simon, thank you so much for joining us again today. Thank you for having me. Uh, where can we find you on the internet and what do you want to plug? Um, so as I said, I'm a member of uh, uh, Flying Nightmare Games. You can find us at www.fnbgames.com um, where you can see Beyonder. Uh, we're, we're also on um, Patreon, on Instagram. And um, we're going to be at no con in November, and we are going to have an opportunity for people to, speaking of, of uh, you know, getting feedback to um, play test the alpha of our second edition. So, you know, we're excited to see you there. I was going to make a, like a who's on first style joke about no con, but I couldn't formulate it in time. <laughs> like, I oh, mean, you're going talking to no for a little con, while huh? if you want. <laughs> Um, you can find me at, at Jessica on Twitter or at wannabegames.com or on DraftRPG or itch under wannabe games. That's where I have games, including the means of magic, which 
unless like something terrible happens will be out in digital version when you hear this <laughs> i can never fingers crossed so what's something terrible fingers happens? crossed uh and you can find me at nerdburger craig on twitter the website is nerdburgergames.com the games are all up at drive through rpg um Swing by the Discord. You can find the links for those in the Twitter and the website. Um, if you've been interested in getting good, strong hands, I'm looking at getting a um, a second printing um, because uh, I can get one at a reasonable rate um, right now. And I'm just trying to find people who will be like, I'd love to buy that book for 30 bucks. Um, so I'm offering a discount to just get a bunch of people that want to buy it, which will help me feel better about spending a whole bunch of money to do a second <laughs> printing. Um, so there you go. And also, um, if you want to find me in person, I will be at PAX Unplugged. Nerdburger Games has its own booth. It will be booth 4056. If you know the PAX Unplugged layout, that's way back in the corner because I'm brand yeah. new and I got relegated <laughs> way back in the corner. But I will be there. Well, that's very exciting for you, Craig. Yes. I'm very nervous. <laughs> it, it's going to it's gonna be great. I've never been to PAX Unplugged, so. I've been there, but I'm nervous about having my own booth like this for, like, at a big con. <laughs> I would be terrified. <laughs> I'll be terrified. Uh, terrified's coming. That'll be, like, the week before. <laughs> the okay. day before. Right know. now, I'm nervous. Okay. Uh, you can find. Oh, wait. No, wait. I already said that. Thank you for our opening and closing theme song, which is Avail by Steph Sachs, licensed under a Creative Commons share like license, uh, CC by SA 2.0. Got to double check that. I had it memorized before I got on the call. Uh, and thank all of you for listening, and we'll see you back here next time. Bye. 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 Bye.